Right, Steve Pegg. I've been very, very blessed to be with you this while, just walking with you, sharing your journey in God, and I really thank God for that, and I'm so glad to have this opportunity to put a little back in. All I've got to give you is the Word of God. <laughs> I'm not a rich man, but I'm a rich man in heaven. <laughs> I've called this ministry today, Be a Barnabas, the Power of Mentoring. We've got a lot of interns now who are going to need a lot of help, a lot of discipleship, a lot of mentoring. It's my experience that probably in the first six months of your Christian life, you desperately need a more experienced person who will help you and guide you. Let me say that again. In the first six months of your Christian life, you desperately need someone who will help you and guide you and counsel you and help you sort your life out. It may not actually be the person who brought you to the Lord. They may not be experienced enough. But you need somebody. Now, in can we have the illustration? Okay, I, my wife and I found this in a book called Mentoring Leaders. And... As we get on into the Word, we're going to look at a real example of mentoring leaders. And this illustration shows you that right at the center where the cross is, is self-awareness. If you're going to be a mentor, you need a deep understanding of who you are as a child of God through Christ Jesus. And over the time that I've been here, various years, I've heard Pastor Tim tell you over and over again what you are in Christ, the riches that you have. Even Easter, seven benefits of the cross. It's terrific. It's wonderful. Okay, looking at the quadrant six o'clock to nine o'clock, it's called freeing up. Getting disentangled from anything that would hinder you. Anything from the past. That might be generational curses, it might be abuse, it might be addictions, involvement in the occult. It could be anything that would hinder you. So you need freeing up. God will only ultimately work with clean vessels. So freeing up. Carrying on around 9 o'clock to 12, visioneering. You need to discover God's purpose for your life. He hasn't just saved you so you can do your own thing and go ultimately to heaven. He's got a purpose for your life. You need to discover it. Again, you might need a mentor to help you discover that. Going around 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, implementing. Being purposeful in how we live and how we lead. 
taking deliberate steps to fulfill this vision day by day, month by month, year by year, implementing. And then three o'clock to six o'clock, sustaining. Christianity is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a long endurance in the same direction. It requires discipline. It requires stickability. So we have to sustain ourselves. Now, we're going to look at primarily two people today, a mentor and the most famous of the many people that he mentored. We're going to look mostly in the book of Acts, which, as you know, tells the story of the early church and how it spread. I'm going to ask you some questions because it's good to know that you're with me. <laughs> On the day of Pentecost, who was there in Jerusalem? The apostles and... Yeah, 120 people were there. But who else was there? It was a, a Jewish feast, the Feast of Pentecost or weeks. Look in Acts chapter 2. Has anybody got verse 5? Just call it out, read it out. I don't want to just blah, blah, blah. I want, you know, to communicate. Shout it out, verse 5. Fantastic. And that was the amazing thing that later on they heard the apostles praising God in their own personal languages from all those countries in the world. Now, among those people, if we follow over into chapter 4 and verse 36, we find... A Jew there, we know he was a Jew because he's called a Levite. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Okay, there were thousands of them there, men, women, children, and they were meeting daily, they were listening to the apostles' teaching, they were breaking bread, they were praying, they were growing. But look at this. Amongst those thousands, the apostles recognize him as someone who's very, very encouraging. Do you like being encouraged? <laughs> well, encourage someone else. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that you pray for your pastor and his wife and little Zion. The very next best thing you can do for them is to encourage them. Try not to be a pain in the butt all the time but encourage them. Think of some way you can treat them, some way you can say thank you to them, some way you can bless them and encourage them. They noticed this man Joseph, and he was so encouraging, they actually changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. There isn't time, but name changes in the Bible are always important. They're always significant. They recognized something. Was it actually going to be prophetic for the rest of his life? We don't know. I think so. 
If you look at verse 37, the next thing it says about him, Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. We don't know how long between verses 36 and 37. There's an awful lot the Bible doesn't tell us. But he was such an encourager. He presumably saw a need. And he said, oh, Mrs. Barnabas, we've got that field back in Cyprus. We don't need that. We could sell that and bring the money. So they gave the money. He moved from being an encourager to being a generous giver. He's taken a step already. Okay. Let's just carry on because it's a a really exciting story, you know. Um, I hope you are excited when you read the Bible. (laughs) I am. And I love the way Pastor Tim is encouraging you to use the soap ministry. Scriptures, observation, application, prayer. I'm going to only try and say it once. And, uh, you know, you could change the first two letters to R. E, and then it would read reap read examine, apply and pray <laughs> ah <laughs> if you sow, you'll reap <laughs> never mind if you're going to be in any kind of ministry and you're planning on getting married, you need to marry someone who will encourage you, who will stick with you, who will stand with those big decisions that you make. And I couldn't be here without the blessing and the encouragement of Joy. She sends you her love and greetings. She's with her mom in Australia. We have to notice that Barnabas wasn't even included as one of the seven that were chosen to look after the administration. He doesn't get listed as doing one of those jobs. He's just there encouraging. And I'm going to skip through to chapter 9 because this is when we meet another character in our story today. He's called Saul, but we know he becomes Paul the Apostle, so I'm just going to refer to him as Paul. Chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. We already know that this Pharisee, Saul, was the one who held the coats of those men who stoned Stephen to death and initiated that tremendous persecution of the early church. Now, they weren't just nice little pebbles from the road outside. They were rocks. And the victim was put in a pit. And they were hurled down. That's a horrible, horrible execution. But Paul was agreeing with it. He held their coats. And he was mad at these Christians. But we read in verse 3, As the party neared Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Apparently, according to his testimony later, 
it was brighter than the noonday sun. You imagine that? That would blind you, wouldn't it? Boof! He was knocked off his horse. He was laying in the dirt. And he hears a voice. Whose voice did he hear? Yeah. But specifically, it was the voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I hope you pray for the persecuted church around the world today. They are not persecuting simply men and women. They are persecuting Jesus. And they will not ultimately win. Paul's response is, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. That voice would haunt Paul for the rest of his life. He would recognize that voice whenever the Lord spoke to him again. He would know the voice of the Lord. We know that he goes on into Damascus and for three whole days he's blind, he fasts and he prays. And he's probably thinking to himself, what on earth have I been doing persecuting these Christians? What is going to happen to me now? I'm, I'm totally blind, I can't see, I, I'm like a dead man. But then he has a vision. He sees a man called Ananias coming to lay hands on him and minister to him. Now we know that Ananias was one of the Christians in Damascus, one of the very people that Paul had come to grab a hold of and arrest. I don't think we should blame Ananias that he was a little bit reluctant to go. <laughs> if, uh, if the Lord said to you, Toti, I want you to go to such and such a place and, and stick your head in the mouth of a great big lion, <laughs> oh, I'm not so sure about that, Lord. <laughs> That's what it was like for Ananias. But look what the Lord says to Ananias. I've lost the verse. 15, chapter 9, 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. He's a tool. What do you do with a tool? You pick it up and use it. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Do you know when we break bread together, there is a sense in which we share our own lives with each other. And we say, this is my body. I'm willing to lay it down for you. 
And when Pastor Noel was with us the other week, he was challenging us that there may well be a cost to following Jesus in these days. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus? So Ananias goes to the house. He puts his hands on Saul. We really don't know anything about Ananias. We don't know any more than these few verses. We don't know whether he had a healing or deliverance ministry or what, but he went simply in obedience. In verse 17, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Radical. Necessary. Vital. You have to see. You, the eyes of your heart have to be opened. And you have to see the truth. And you have to receive it and be filled with the Spirit before you can be a real Christian. Immediately, scales fall off Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking food, he regained his strength. What does he do? He spends several days with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> He's only been saved three days and filled with the Holy Spirit straight away. He's preaching and he's debating in the synagogues and he's proving that Jesus is the Christ. Of course he had the background. He had the understanding. He had the, the skill in the Old Testament and he was schooled in the school of Gamaliel. And he must have thought I'm on a mission. I'm going to save my countrymen, the Jews. But of course, they decide to kill him. And kind of a bit of shameful, really. They have to let him out in a big wicker basket through a hole in the wall overnight. <laughs> the man who would later be the great apostle is let out overnight, escaping in a basket. We know if we look around the story, he spends three years in the Arabian desert. And God downloads all kinds of revelation truth to him. Then he went to Damascus briefly, and then he makes his way to Jerusalem. He must have thought by then, well, now... I've really got it now. I really understand it. I'm going to go back to the church in Jerusalem and, and they'll receive me. They'll, they, you know, they'll, they'll make me part of the leadership team or, or something. Verse 26, he came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They remembered that three years ago, he was a bad guy. He was a persecutor. He was a murderer. He had actually celebrated the death of their dear, dear friend Stephen. So they were afraid of him. They didn't really believe that he was a disciple. But look at verse 27. Who goes to find him? Barnabas. Barnabas the encourager. He says, no, hang on a minute. Ah. And he goes and he talks to Paul and he brings him to the apostles. And he persuades them that this really is a new believer and they should receive him. So Paul 
is there and he moves freely about and he speaks in the name of the Lord but again he debates mainly with Jews, Grecian Jews and again what happens is they want to kill him <laughs> do you remember he was told all the things he was going to suffer well it sure began quickly but you see Barnabas was he very perceptive was he discerning was he a risk taker I don't know but you can be sure that in the three years that have passed Barnabas will have been encouraging 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 all sorts of people and he brings Paul when the brothers learned that the Jews wanted to kill him they took him as far as Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus his hometown now we know nothing about Paul for the next seven years he went to his hometown of Tarsus I guess he went back to his mom and dad who had saved up all that money and sent him to Pharisee school we know that his trade was as a tent maker he more than likely worked to support himself and he must have felt a total failure He must have over and over again remembered the vision and remembered what the Lord told him. And he said, what am I doing here? Why doesn't it work? I don't know. You will discover if you read the biographies of great Christian leaders that most of them go through a period of setback, of trial, of disappointment, it may be an illness. It may be some kind of a, a terrible church split. It may be a tragedy in their family. But there is something that interrupts their apparent progress in God. And the great thing is that if you keep on seeking God, he will work in you so that you stop running around trying to save the world and you begin to come into that place where God can work in you and through you and God can follow his own agenda not yours running on through we find that because of the persecution we're in Acts 11 now and verse 19 because of the persecution that arose about Stephen people were scattered verse 20 some of them from Cyprus remember that's Barnabas's home country some from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch that's north from Jerusalem they began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus remember Jesus said go into all the world not just Jerusalem all the world and so far it isn't the great apostles the twelve that are doing that it's people who are scattered okay what happens they're telling Greeks <coughs> the good news about Jesus and the Lord's hand is with them and a great number of people believed and turned 
to the Lord. Isn't it wonderful that 47 interns, after only two weeks with you, have been baptized? Isn't that proof of the hand of God with you, doing wonderful things? When God's hand is moving in blessing, in power, you don't have to do anything other than be obedient to what he says. You have to be available and obedient. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So who do they send? Who do they send to Antioch? Barnabas. Oh guys, it's a long way. We're too busy here. Barnabas, you're, you're, you're a guy from Cyprus anyway. You go and see what they're up to. You can imagine, journeys were not so easy in those days. Journeys were dangerous. Um, I don't suppose Barnabas had a great deal of money, actually, because he'd given a lot of it away. And he didn't know how long he was going for. He didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> oh, uh, honey, I've got to go to Antioch. Um, the, the apostles want me to go. Is that all right? Do you want to come this time? No, Barnabas, I, I've got the grandchildren and I've got my ladies ministry and you know I, I'm, I'm discipling all these people no 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 you go you have a good time yeah, I, I, it'd be interesting to see what's happening up there okay so off he goes look what happens when he arrives 23 verse 23 when he arrived he saw the evidence of the grace of God he actually saw something he didn't just feel it, ooh, God is in this place. No, he saw conclusive evidence that God was at work. Numbers of people worshipping, numbers of people leaving their past, becoming radical Christians, filled with the Spirit. He saw the evidence of the grace, the blessing, the favour of God, and he was glad and what does he do? What is he? He encouraged them. It's what he was. He did it. He encouraged them. And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Are you half-hearted? Quarter-hearted? Or are you whole-hearted for Jesus? Is he the best thing in your life? Ultimately the only thing in your life? All that's worth living for, all that's worth dying for? I hope so. Because he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And because of that, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's twice repeated here. A great number and then another great number. So already Antioch is becoming a big church. And Barnabas realizes, I need help. What am I going to do? <laughs> How can I find help? And this is always the cry of church leaders when a church starts to grow. I need help. <laughs> he remembers Paul. And he goes to Tarsus to look for him and find him. Verse 25, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
Now this is very significant. For one whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and again it's repeated, and taught great numbers of people. Great numbers, great numbers, great numbers. The church is still growing. And there's a real upgrade here because the disciples are first called Christians at Antioch. They were so like Jesus. They lived like Jesus. They loved each other like Jesus. They behaved like Jesus. They were nicknamed Christians. We notice in verse 27 that prophets came and told them there would be a famine. So who do they send to Jerusalem with their gifts? Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas was simply a layman in the early church. But by the time he's actually gone to Antioch, he's been faithful for ten years. He's grown over that period. He's developed as an encourager. Goodness knows how many people he's actually encouraged. But during that year at Antioch with Paul, he downloaded into him all that he knew, all that he had learned from being in the early church in Jerusalem. Paul hadn't been there. He hadn't had that experience. He didn't understand about living in community, sharing with each other. He probably didn't really even understand about breaking bread or a whole lot of things. Barnabas mentored him, taught him. Paul, of course, is the most significant person that Barnabas ever mentored. And we see that in that process of mentoring, Paul, Barnabas himself is growing and developing. Because he's gone from a layman, an encourager, to a person who gives very generously, to becoming a trusted messenger to go for the apostles to Antioch, to pastoring a church and mentoring Paul. Then again, being trusted to go on a journey with a bag of money. <laughs> I hope you're trustworthy with money. It's all the Lord's. We give just a part. And he gives us the privilege of living with the rest. We next find ourselves in chapter 13. And here... The church in Antioch has continued developing so that we read in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Well, we know they were teachers there. We, you know, obviously Barnabas was teaching. He was encouraging. He was making things plain. He was mentoring Paul. But by this point, there are prophets and teachers Barnabas, of course, the lead pastor. Simeon, called Niger, or Black. Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Man, he must have, by association, been a bad guy. 
But he got saved, and here he is in the church at Antioch. And so, in one year, the power of mentoring has developed four other leaders. That's really something that our scriptures record as being prophets and teachers. Barnabas had obviously taught them that the apostles in Jerusalem put worship and ministry of the word first because we read here in verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We don't know exactly how the Lord said it or who he said it through. He certainly couldn't give them scripture and verse. Must have been prophetic. Maybe someone saw a vision. Who knows? But they shared it. They agreed it. So after they had fasted and prayed, placed their hands on them, they sent them off. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how long they'd be gone. They probably didn't have much money. Again, off they went. Now, if you follow the story through Acts and you see the amazing things that this first apostolic missionary team accomplished, miracles that they were able to do, churches that they were able to establish, it's quite amazing. And it's proof again of the power of mentoring. We know that they picked up John Mark, who was Barnabas' cousin, took him with them. We know that gradually Paul became the leader of the party. So that you'll read it suddenly switches from being Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. Now Barnabas was so secure in his place in God. He wasn't jealous. He didn't have a, a fit. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> he was mature enough to recognize that the man he had mentoring was way, way out in front. And he let Paul take the leadership. Possibly this was a trouble for young Mark. He thought his uncle should still be the leader. And that's why he went home. The wonderful thing is that because Barnabas continued as such an encourager, later on there is a resolution. Because we'll find that if we read in 2 Timothy, Paul is actually saying, bring Mark to me because he's helpful in the ministry. And if we read uh, in 1 Corinthians, if I can just turn it up. Um, sorry, I can't find it, but Paul actually is talking about his place as an apostle, and he is comparing himself with some of the others, 
and he actually says, well, is it only myself and Barnabas who have to work for our living? Never mind, I know it's there, I just can't see it. So he obviously continued to think very, very highly of Barnabas. He commends him as being a hard worker who is willing to support himself in the ministry. And actually, when the great dispute over circumcision comes, because there are those who come to Antioch and they say, ah, well, it's okay for you guys receiving Christ, that's wonderful, but you, you still need to be circumcised. <laughs> Ladies, you're let off, but you know, men, you have to be circumcised, and you have to this, and you have to that. And that could have destroyed the church. You see how important it is. It could have prevented the church from ever getting beyond being a little sect of Judaism. And again, the church decides to send Barnabas and Paul to the elders in Jerusalem to sort it out and get their ruling over it. Now, by this time, of course, they've gone their separate ways. They've got two different uh, teams going. But again, you'll find in Acts chapter 15 that Barnabas really is the main spokesman. Verse 12. Well, you, you, you find in verse 6 they met to consider the question. And uh, Peter tells them how God chose him to bring the message to the Gentiles. And then verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Look at this. Barnabas was involved in doing signs and wonders. He was only a layman, just an encourager. But as he grew and became a mentor, and he mentored the man who would become the Apostle Paul, he gradually was upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. First, a messenger, then a prophet teacher, then an apostolic missionary, and involved in signs and wonders, and still a very diplomatic, very patient, very loving, tender kind of man that he is able to present the case. I think Paul probably would have... If you read Galatians, you find Paul is very, very fiery and strong about these kind of things. But he let Barnabas do most of the talking. And when they'd finished, James spoke up and he presents their decision. Barnabas was a faithful man with a faithful wife. Just apparently an ordinary man in the early church. He knew what true repentance was. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized as the early church was. And he grew in the grace of God. 
from day to day. And God greatly used him. Now one of the wonderful things about encouraging people is you do not know what they will become. You do not know how God will ultimately use them. And we sing about the generation that God is bringing and the possibilities of what God may do. And that's wonderful. That's exciting. But we need to add to our excitement and our prayers some sheer hard work to mentor somebody successfully and faithfully. It's not easy. It requires discipline. It requires time. It requires making yourself available. From time to time, it requires being courageous enough to confront and say, oh, hang on June, you know, what about this? And to be a mentor, you have constantly to keep your own heart and your own life. None of us ever becomes an expert but by the grace of God we become more mature and into the place where we can mentor others. In the world of business or education a mentor is described as an experienced and trusted advisor who will help train and counsel new employees or students and help them reach their full potential. God only knows what your full potential is. It's actually, to a large extent, up to you to set the limit. Because there's no limits in God. Next week you have the privilege of having Bambi's mentor from Palawan, her father in the Lord. And you can see her ministry on a day-to-day basis in this place with so many. How she gives herself, how she loves these kids, how she does everything to help them. And I imagine it's to a large extent due to the help that she's received from a faithful mentor and father in the Lord. If you want to be encouraged, be an encourager. As soon as you're able, find a mentor. Not that you hold them up as somebody to worship, but somebody that you can respect and listen to. Move amongst your peers, your cell group, people on the same level. And look for others that you can mentor and help and bring along. You've been very, very patient with my English. I can't even speak y'all in Texan. But <laughs> I think there's some truth in here that you can take away and you can talk to your cell groups about and you hopefully will see that it isn't hard to read the Bible. You just have to read what's there, ask some questions. Who, what, where, when, why. Examine it. Observe. 
Be ready to apply it in your own life. And then pray it into reality. We're all on a journey. We all need encouragement. Bless you. Okay, let's give a big hand clap for Steve. Thank you, Steve, for that word. You know, there's a lack of leaders in, in the church. In, in the world, but in, in the world of our church even, we're lacking leaders. Bakit? Because for maybe 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 people, one person can lead. But when the church is already three, four hundred, five hundred, if you count the community out there, hindi na, hindi na po kaya ang isang leader or dalawang leaders. Please become a mentor. Utos ng Dios yan. Sabi sa Timothy, the older and men, women, young, old, bago sa Panginoon, matagal ka na sa Panginoon, everyone can become a mentor to someone. Mayroong mga brand new baby Christians kahapon, 47. You know it's not right na bagong pinanganak na yung baby and then iiwanan mo lang siya. If you will allow that in a physical baby, you are isang brutal na walang puso, you know? If you just let a baby stay on the sa, sa tabi ng kalsada na walang, you know, iniwan siya ng nanay niya. And there are baby Christians around that need a family, need a kuya, an ati. Humuisipin na, oh, hindi naman ako perfect, marami akong problema. So, it's okay. Hindi mawawala yan. But imagine, whatever na alam mo, whatever kaya mong gawing encouragement, you can be a Barnabas to someone. Open your eyes around you. Look around you for someone that you can be an encourager to. Barnabas did not start as the official mentor of Paul. He started just as an authentic Christian. Sinasabuhay yung kanyang panampalataya. He's practicing what he preaches. Kaya nagiging isang encourager, tapos nag-progress na siya isang, naging isang generous giver. And then, uh, basta nag-volunteer siya. He was willing to go as a messenger or do whatever na, na nga, kinakailangan ng church. Na he was just able to do it. And then, mayroon siyang compassion sa mga na-backslide. Si Paul, he was pushed to the side. He was matagal na hindi, you know, in Acts chapter 10, 11, 12, wala, wala kang makikita anything about Paul. Para siyang naging silent, na? Parang disappeared lang si Paul until Barnabas went to look for him and brought him back into action, brought him back into church work, brought him back into serving God. Sino nakakilala mo na who just dropped off, disappeared, wala na sila ngayon, you can bring them back. You can take one of the baby Christians and gawin mo siyang isang protege mo. Protege is a French word. It means, I don't know. Protege. It's a French word. It just means, yung parang kabaliktad ng mentor. Mentor is yung upline mo. Diba? Siya yung parang ahead sa'yo. Siya yung parang uh, nag-feed sa'yo. Yung protege is yung 
sa kabila naman pa 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 downward pa downward na ikaw na ang kanyang mentor so i don't know kung anong definition ng protege but it's a nice word it sounds you know social no sabi mo eh, protege well social no so kaila lahat tayo kailangan ng mentor at protege and so let's let's do this let's apply yung preaching ni Steve sa ating church gawin nating kultura sa church na lahat tayo ay mayroong mentor at mayroong mini-mentor. <laughs> okay? And then, uh, ang, ang kaganda, yung cycle na sinasabi niya kanina, travel light. First step is travel light. We have to be freed sa ating mga bagahe. Mga baggages, mga excess baggages. Kung may mga saktan, mga attitudes. So, help your protege na maging Malaya sa kamang bondages. Ang susunod is vision and, and purpose sa kanyang buhay. And then, na, nagiging purpose-driven ng kanyang buhay. And then, finishing strong. We just got to help him. And sabi ni Steve, it takes hard work. Na, sustain na. Tuloy-tuloy. Helping someone. There's accountability doon. Yan sabi niya, maging available ka sa iba. And just spend time. Follow up. And then let help someone finish strong. At ikaw din, sa pamamagitan ng example mo, you're finishing strong. You know, this is a great word, Steve, and I just thank you so much for bringing that. Parang something like a missing piece of the puzzle sa ating church. We need this. And let's don't uh, wait na ang mga leaders lang ang gagawin ito. You're not here by accident ng para lang maging mainit ang upuan mo. You know, the chairs will be hot naman. Hindi yan ang dahilan kung bakit ka nandito ito. Pinapainit ang mga upuan. No, you're here also to get the marching orders, to get the instructions ng Panginoon sa atin and become a part of the body. Become a part of the family. Kaya I encourage you, plug in to a cell group. Kung wala kang cell group, start one. Or, uh, you know, join one. And doon sa cell group, that's your Sakop na kung saan na you will be mentored and you will mentor others. Okay? Can we do that, guys? Let's make that a part of the culture. All right? Palapakin natin ng Panginoon. God is so good to us, no?